Questions to the Prime Minister, Lembit Opik. Mr. Speaker, sir, before listening to my engagements, I know the whole House will join with me in sending our condolences and sympathy to the families of the two British soldiers killed in Afghanistan yesterday. They were fighting the Taliban, they were brave and committed soldiers. This country can be very proud of the work that they were doing. Mr. Speaker, so this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in the House. I'll have further such meetings later today. Mr. Speaker, I'm sure the whole House would associate themselves with those sentiments. Uh, I thank the Prime Minister for endorsing efforts to find a cure for motor neuron disease, which kills one UK resident every eight hours. His support is welcome and hugely valued. However, is he aware that in the last five years, for every £337,000 in research the government spent per diagnosed case of CJD, it invested a mere £108 in research uh, per case of MND? Would he therefore ask his health ministers to meet the Motor Neuron Disease Association to give equal priority to curing this disease and back our efforts to raise £15 million for a research fund to rid the world of this terrible disease? Well, first of all, I would like to pay tribute to the work that the Honourable Member has done um, on behalf of the Motor Neuron Disease Association um, to thank him for having arranged the meeting I had recently with him and the association and to say that we do fully support them in their efforts to raise the money required. And I will certainly pass on the remarks he has made to the relevant ministers. Uh, much of this funding obviously comes through the Medical Research Council, uh, but he's right in saying that if, if we put together the amount of money spent on research in the CJD and motor neuron disease, there's obviously a very, very clear gap indeed. So we will look to see what more we can do. Janet Anderson. Um, is my right honourable friend aware that 30 years on from the introduction of the Equal Pay Act by a Labour government, the winner of the women's singles at Wimbledon will receive £30,000 less in prize money than the winner of the men's singles, and that this is the only grand slam where this occurs? Will my right honourable friend support his right honourable friend the Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport in her efforts to persuade the Lawn Tennis Association to put this inequality right? Um, well, I was somewhat coy on that yesterday, not having realised that my right honourable friend had already pronounced on it. So I'm very happy to be bolder today, uh, welcome what she said and endorse it fully. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I echo what the Prime Minister said about the two young soldiers who were killed in Afghanistan? Our thoughts and prayers are with their families. When asked about the need to replace Britain's independent nuclear deterrent, the Prime Minister said last week at that dispatch box that he wanted the fullest possible debate and that a decision would be taken later in this Parliament. That afternoon, the Chancellor of the Exchequer went around saying he had made a decision and it would be announced later this year. Can the Prime Minister tell us what the Chancellor was up to? Yeah. It, it, was, uh, it was in the Labour manifesto, of course, that we are committed to maintaining the independent nuclear deterrent. I've also said myself that I think it's right that we should do so. Uh, there will be a decision taken in this Parliament. Uh, I can actually say to the right hon. Gentleman the decision will be taken later this year. It is important that Britain make sure that we defend our country properly. I believe an independent nuclear deterrent is an essential part of that. Come on. 
Well, the Chancellor did repeat what was in Labour's manifesto in his speech, but what he went round briefing was completely different. As the BBC's political editor put it, he said this, I wish the Chancellor would use code and spin less and speak in plain English a little more. Then we could focus on the real debate. One of the things the Chancellor said was that there should be a vote. So can the Prime Minister tell us, in plain English, will the House of Commons have a vote on whether Trident is replaced? My right honourable friend, the Leader of the House, dealt with this uh, at his questions last week. And what he said, which is absolutely right, is that we will, of course, consult the House fully. Um, that will be, the method of doing that will be announced at the time that we publish the white paper on this. But I can assure the right honourable gentleman there will, of course, be the fullest possible debate. There would have to be it. I'm rather I'm rather surprised he doesn't want to get up today and debate the policy he announced yesterday on the Bill of Rights. Since we're having a since we're having a debate since we're having a debate at long last on policy, I thought he might want to debate one of his. It's a simple enough question. The Chancellor wants a vote. The Education Secretary has said there ought to be a vote. Can we have a vote in the House? I've already explained that my right honourable friend, the Leader of the House, made clear the position last Thursday. That is the position. We will announce the means of consultation at the time we publish the White Paper. And, of course, we believe it's extremely important we have the fullest possible debate on this subject. But the Prime Minister is saying one thing and the Chancellor is briefing another. Isn't this, isn't this part of a wider problem? Isn't there a danger that the Prime Minister is just becoming the David Brent of Downing Street? Utterly redundant, he's just hanging round the office. What we are, what we are doing... Uh what we are doing is setting out the policies for the long-term future of the country. For example, a stable economy. For example, the New Deal to help cut unemployment further. For example, policies on childcare. For example, policies on pensions. The Energy Review will be published shortly. The NHS reform programme. Of course, all these are substantial policies for the future of the country. What happens to the right honourable gentleman when he makes a policy decision? He's got one on foreign policy to withdraw from the European People's Party. And then he, he finally announced a domestic policy, his own Bill of Rights, that was denounced by the chairman of his own democracy commission as xenophobic legal nonsense. I'm surprised when he's just announced a major change to the British Constitution, he doesn't want to get up and debate it. So come on, direction is about policy. Why don't we... I'm happy to debate our policies, I'm happy to debate his policies, I'm happy to have a policy debate. I, so he's got, two, he's got two questions left, let's debate policy. Order, Gwen Purser. Mr. Mr Speaker, everyone accepts the need to deal with surplus school places in a rational manner. But what has the Prime Minister got to say about Conservative controlled Kent County Council? But this is a major part of any conversation we have because it's extremely important, we believe, both of us believe, to make sure that we restart a peace process there, which is the only way to stop events like the terrible events of the last 24 hours. And in the end, what is necessary, obviously, is to make sure that peace and karma is restored so that there's some possibility of getting negotiation going.
Minister will agree that this is a particularly crucial moment. What joint actions will the President and the Prime Minister take in order to capitalise on the apparent willingness of Hamas to accept a negotiated settlement and a two-state solution? It would be a tragedy if that possibility of progress were derailed by the hostage crisis. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think I understand what the right hon. Gentleman is saying, but of course, if Hamas is prepared to commit itself to a two-state solution and to negotiate a settlement, that necessarily must mean that they are committed to the existence of Israel and to the renunciation of violence rather than negotiation as a way of achieving that settlement. And the point is that if they would be clear on those issues, if in fact they would be prepared to return to the roadmap, which used to be the thing that he and his honourable members asked me to endorse and carry forward, and I still want to, if they were prepared to do that, then I can assure him, not just on my own behalf, but on behalf of the President as well, America, the Quartet, would be willing to take this process forward as swiftly as possible. But we need to know, if a two-state solution is what we're negotiating, that both sides to that negotiation are committed to the existence of the other state. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Would my right honourable friend join me in condemning the decision of the Conservative councillors in Hounslow to share of the Conservative councillors in Hounslow to share power with a group led by Phil Andrews, a former parliamentary candidate for the National Front? Would he agree that this decision is not consistent with statements by leaders of all the parties condemning all racist organisations? I am sure that all party leaders in do, uh, do indeed most sincerely condemn racism of any sort, whatever. I don't know about the particular situation in my honourable friend's constituency, but of course it would be deeply regrettable if anyone was in alliance with people who did not conform to the principles that I hope we all do. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In light of the Prime Minister's avowed priority for victims of crime, Will he ensure that therapeutic services are available for all children who experience sexual abuse and indeed children who exhibit sexually harmful behaviour who may indeed have been abused themselves? This, of course, will be in line with the NSPCC's recommendations on this issue. Well, I would, I would like to get a, a, an update and send it to the Honourable Lady of exactly what we're doing in the area of um, therapeutic treatment for the victims of um, sexual abuse, but I can tell her that we have increased significantly um, the funding for victim support and for the National Health Service also for the whole range of its therapeutic services. But I would like to acquaint myself with the actual details of what we're doing in this area and send them to her. Jeremy Corbyn. The Minister, I'm sure, would accept that the 1970 Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty commits this country and all other declared nuclear powers to long-term disarmament. In the light of that, could he explain why the government is even considering an extension or a replacement for Trident? Shouldn't we see, seize this historic opportunity to start a process of nuclear disarmament around the world? Um, well, of course, we do do an immense amount in this area, and there is nothing consistent with renewing our own independent nuclear deterrent to be in favour of non-proliferation. Um, but I think my honourable friend's remarks are an indication it's going to be a lively debate. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
Ministers are meeting tomorrow in Geneva to try and resolve the vital world trade talks. When I last asked the Prime Minister about these talks, he said that failure in the Doha development round would be a disaster, and I agree. How confident, given that Oxfam say there are still 760 areas of disagreement, how confident is the Prime Minister that we will make progress this weekend? It's obviously immensely difficult. Um, however, uh, we are working very closely, in particular with um, the German government of Chancellor Merkel uh, and the Brazilians to try and, and see if there's a, there's a way forward. Um, and in addition, uh, I spoke to Pascal Lamy, the head of the WTO, just recently, and we talked through the various issues that are still outstanding. But yes, it's going to need a lot of movement from um, all areas, from Europe on agriculture, from America on subsidies, from Brazil and the G20 countries on non-agricultural market access, and we will do everything we can to make sure that progress is maintained. Come on. Clearly, a reduction in agricultural protection is absolutely key to these talks. Although our headline offer appears to be a 39% cut in tariffs, there are concerns that when it's applied in practice, it means a lot less. In fact, one estimate, based on figures from economists at the World Bank, is that it would effectively mean an average of just a 1% cut. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that this would be completely inadequate? Yes, I do, which is why I think it's important that we all go further. But I should say to him, Exactly the same calculations could be made of some of the other offers that are made by the G20, as I say, on non-agricultural market access, and um, on the American offer as well in terms of agricultural subsidies. So I'm afraid in every single part of this there are still outstanding issues that have got to be resolved, and that's why, certainly prior to the G8 and possibly at the G8, I will be arguing very strongly that the leaders need to put pressure um, on all the, the different systems to go far further in this, because in my view it would be a disaster not just for world trade, incidentally, and for the development package that we want to see, but also for the whole multilateral system if the WTO goes down. But that's precisely why, as I say, this has been a constant part of my dialogue, not just with America, but most particularly with the German government, that shares our view that failure in this area would be, would be deeply regrettable for the whole of the international system. Edwin Billy. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, what assessment has my right honourable friend made of the impact on community relations of the alliance between the former BNP organiser Steve Edwards and the Conservative candidate in Tipton in the last local elections? Order. 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 It's, it's not a responsibility of the Prime Minister. I'm sure he's pleased to hear that. Uh, Richard Bacon. Num Number three, Mr. Speaker. The National Programme for IT will help us deliver an NHS fit for the 21st century. In 10 years, it will connect <clears throat> over 30,000 GPs in England to over 300 hospitals, giving patients access to their personal health and care information. By the end of March 2006, expenditure on the contracts let at the outset of the programme was £654 million, and as the National Audit Office report said, the notable progress and tight control of the central aspects of the programme are to be commended. Mr Speaker, would the Prime Minister agree with Sir John Bourne that value for money on this programme is safeguarded because suppliers will not receive uh, public money for IT products and services until they are delivered and shown to be working effectively? And can he give the House his personal assurance that this has not happened, for example, in relation to uh, iSoft, whose directors trousered £76 million in share sales prior to their recent share crash? I obviously don't know about the particular example that he, he's, he's just giving, but let me explain to him why, why it is important that we have this information technology programme. 
in the end, one of the huge benefits of having a national health service is that we can have um, electronic patient records that are transferable right round the system. And if that happens, it means not just an end to vast amounts of paperwork within the NHS, but it also means that things like patient choice, for example, can become a reality. Now, contrary to the, uh, the, the pre-reports of the National Audit Office report, actually they were, on the whole, complimentary about the IT programme. It's a huge programme, but it will deliver real benefits. And of course we've got to make sure that people offer value for money, but by and large the NAO said that we did. Dr Gillian Lewis, Foreign nationals living in the UK that pose a threat to this country should indeed be removed. I entirely agree with the Prime Minister, but does he accept that no society can be safe if its laws fail to recognise that people forfeit some of their own rights when they pose a threat or actually infringe the rights of others? Isn't this why, precisely why, he had to abandon the pledge he gave to this House on the 3rd of May that foreign prisoners, criminals, would be deported automatically on release? And isn't it why he is actually helpless to deport foreign terrorist sympathisers? No. Because, because, although there is a particular problem that I will come to in a moment, but actually now we have um, many people, I think almost 40, who are foreign nationals that um, are accused of terrorist offences or of plotting or inciting terrorism, and their cases are going through the court, and he's absolutely right in saying that we've got to make sure that those court cases are successful. But we have actually the power, under the Human Rights Act, of course, expressly to override legislation if we wish to do so. And what I said last year, and I repeat now, is that we're prepared to do so if necessary. But I think, if I may say, that, so that our view is somewhat better than the view expressed by his right honourable gentleman, leader of the opposition, because he said that we should replace the Human Rights Act with a Bill of Rights. He also then went on to say that that should not be subject to the Parliament Act and therefore would be entrenched, which in fact would make it even harder to do what the honourable gentleman wants. He also said that the reason we needed this was a case called the Singh case. I can point out to the Honourable Gentleman, the case was decided in August 2000. The Right Honourable Gentleman said that it had been decided under the guidance of the Human Rights Act. The Human Rights Act came into force in October 2000. <laughs> so we have... Order. Order. I, I think the, the Prime Minister has made the point. John Humble. that domestic burglary has gone down by 21% in my constituency. Car theft has gone down by 23% between 2003 and 2004-05. However, in spite of extra police officers in Lancashire, extra police support staff, the new police community support officers, the community wardens, uh, special constables, many people still think that crime is going up. So will, my, will the Prime Minister reassure my constituents that they are less likely to be a victim of crime now than at any time in the past 25 years? I, I, 
that, that is absolutely true what my honourable friend says. I would also incidentally like to pay tribute to the Lancashire Police Force, who um, are a groundbreaking police force who do a, a superb job. And of course, it's absolutely right, there have been big falls in both car crime and burglary. The anti-social behaviour legislation also is of enormous help here. But I know that she will realise that we need to do more, which is why my right honourable friend is looking at the various issues to do with the Home Office, but also that the Violent Crime Reduction Bill will play a part in this as well. And so my honourable friend is right. We need to keep on making sure that um, the laws are, are fit for what we need, but also to make sure that we get the community policing out on the street that her constituents and others want. Good Thank you, Mr Speaker. In 1997, when the Prime Minister was still the future, he pledged to... He, he pledged, Mr Speaker, he pledged to cut early years class sizes to below 30. In the uh, same year and every year since, he's promised to tackle... Unfortunately, the reverse is the case for housing waiting lists. Before my right honourable friend leaves office, will he ensure that the necessary... Will he ensure that the necessary investment is committed so that his legacy will also be one of falling housing waiting lists? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, first of all, can I, I thank her very much indeed for the first part of her question, which I, I re regard as progress of, of sort. And secondly, to say to her, secondly, to say to her, she is, however, absolutely right that we do need to do more on housing, particularly social housing, and that is why um, we are investing over the, the coming years literally hundreds of millions of pounds to make sure that we invest in better social housing and that we increase the provision of houses as well. And that is very, very important. Whether by councils or by others, it is important that we get the maximum investment in housing. And that is, of course, the reason why we only manage the investment we've got a strong economy with the money, therefore, to invest. Will the uh, Prime Minister set out a clear timetable for the removal from the statute book of the Act of Settlement. It introduces clear discrimination against millions of our fellow citizens, and would a government set on a course of repeal not be demonstrating leadership, authority and direction? Um, well, no, I'm afraid I can't give them that assurance, but I can tell them, since we're on the subject of legislation, what I would not agree to do and that is to introduce the bill that he wants to introduce, which is an independence bill for Scotland that would be an absolute and total disaster for the people of Scotland. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Is my right honourable friend aware that one of my official engagements yesterday was the opening of the 11th Children's Centre in my constituency? School, Dallow Junior, which has received over two million additional investment for new facilities. Will he join me in congratulating the staff involved in that achievement? And does he not agree that this is another example of this government tackling child poverty, which doubled under the party opposite? Well, I can assure my honourable friends, our intention to keep up the investment uh, in children's centres. Of course, Sure Start has been also an immensely important programme that has allowed literally hundreds of thousands of people uh, to get access not just to uh, facilities that help their children, but many parents have benefited enormously as a result of Sure Start. 
But in addition to that, of course, we're trying to support people with the, the work-life balance, in particular the children's tax credit, the increases in maternity leave, the increases in maternity pay. And all this adds up to a package that actually results not in simply talk about helping families, but supporting families in realistic and practical ways throughout the country. James Dudridge. What part of the question, will there be a vote on Trident, does the Prime Minister not understand? Understand it. I'll just refer to him to what my right hon. friend said last Thursday, and that remains the position. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I, can I report with great sadness to the Prime Minister that following the local elections and a bit of bed-hopping by the Liberal Democrats, that Newcastle under Lyme is being temporarily led by the Conservatives? In the, in, in, in the, in the past, past 20-plus years, Newcastle has been well served by Labour leaders, Mike Britton, Eddie Bowden and David Leach. And so in this novel situation, I wonder whether the Prime Minister might be able to help me out. By which yardsticks would he judge this new Tory Lib Democrat alliance in my area, however temporary it might be. I think the most important thing is that the programmes of renewal and inner city regeneration, which of course were funded by, by the government, are maintained by the council, and I know my honourable friend will be holding them strictly to account. Martin Harwood. The Prime Minister will join me in congratulating Cheltenham and Tewkesbury Primary Care Trust on never having had a financial deficit and living within its means. Can he therefore explain to the professionals, patients and people of Cheltenham why we are being rewarded then with the closure of our 10-year-old purpose-built maternity ward, the closure of our rehabilitation hospital, cuts in health promotion, cuts in community nursing, cuts in health visiting, cuts in access to acute care and the non-implementation of new nice prescribed drugs like Herceptin? I obviously don't know the particular circumstances of the Honourable Gentleman's constituency and what has happened with the Primary Care Trust there, although I'm sure that if we were to go into it, we'd also find that waiting times and waiting lists for patients had fallen very substantially, that there were additional numbers of people being treated far faster for cancer and cardiac care. But it is the case, I'm afraid, and this is a necessary part of the financial management in the health service, no matter how much money is put in, there will have to be proper accountability to making sure that that money is spent well. I'm very happy, however, to look into the particular points that he raises. Laura Moffat. Not here. Mark Harper. Mr Speaker, I've given notice to the Prime Minister's office that I was going to raise the case of the late Lieutenant William Norbury MC and his widow Gillian and the battle to win her the war disability pension to which she is entitled. Yesterday at a veterans reception in Downing Street, the Prime Minister was challenged to resolve this issue by Mrs Norbury's splendid champion John Nunnally. In Mr Nunnally's own words, he appealed to the Prime Minister to act as Mrs Norbury's court of last resort. Is the Prime Minister now able to deliver his judgments in this case? Yeah. No, I'm not able to do that right now. I mean, I did meet Mr Nunnally yesterday and he did indeed give me a letter explaining the situation and I thank the Honourable Gentleman for, for notice of the question. I mean, it, it is a complex case because Lieutenant Norbury was a member of the King's African Rifles, which is a colonial force raised in Kenya, and responsibility for his war pension was taken over by the Kenyan government when that country gained its independence in the early 1960s. Ministers and officials have met with Mrs. Norbury's representatives on a number of occasions, and the Ministry of Defence are now examining a number of possible schemes to consider if Mrs. Norbury will be eligible under any of them. So they are looking into it, and I hope I will be able to get back to Mr. Nunley or Mrs. Norbury in due course. Thank you, Mr. 
Speaker. Will the Prime Minister congratulate Plymouth City Council on returning to Labour control last after a successful by-election? Will he also take an interest in the key challenge we face of providing enough affordable housing to rent and to buy and some flexibilities we believe we may need in order to play our part as one of the country's key growth areas. I certainly do uh, congratulate the Council and obviously um, the Labour leadership of the Council on the superb work that they are doing, um, not least in relation to schools and antisocial behaviour and regeneration. And I think the by-election last week I think, sets a very good example. Order.